privacy and security on his mind. Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome once again to the Tech Mobility Show, formerly known as Roadworthy Drive. The program for mobility and technology news, information, and perspective. I'm Ken Chester, your host for this episode. On the agenda for our program, topic A is a review of the 2023 Kia Niro, now available in pure electric and hybrid models. Topic B focuses on a new electric industry technology that solves a chronic small town problem. And finally, Topic C takes a look at EV insurance rates. To add your voice to the conversation, call or text the Tech Mobility Hotline, that number, 872-222-9793, or you can email the show talk at techmobility.show. That's talk at techmobility.show. From the Tech Mobility News Desk, a couple of stories real quick. You may recall we talked about a Vietnamese automaker called VinFast. And we talked about at length how they were going to be opening a plant in North Carolina. And that eventually they will spend some $6 billion in North Carolina to turn out all kinds of things in addition to vehicles, buses, batteries. They were going to employ a bunch of folks. It was going to be a thing. Well, like things, the best laid plans of men go awry. And in the auto industry, <laughs> happens more often than not. According to the company, they have run into what they call administrative procedural problems. And it's delaying the plans in that plant. To be clear, they had talked about initially spending $2 billion in North Carolina in Chatham County. 1,759 acre plot, that is a lot of land, will initially feature an assembly line for one or more battery electric vehicles. But the, the eventual investment could rise to as much as $6.5 billion. And that's what they said in March last year, about a year ago. Their long-term plan would have given it capacity to build 150,000 passenger vehicles annually, and they will also assemble electric buses as well as batteries and motors. And they anticipated that employment, once at full strength, could be as much as 13,000 people. There are some advantages, as we've seen in recent months, to having a production facility in the market in the United States. VinFast is no stranger to that. It will let them proactively manage its supply chain, maintain stabilized prices, and shorten product supply time, making VinFast EV more accessible to consumers. Again, if anything the pandemic taught the industry is sometimes lean can be too lean. And with all the disruptions, everybody's rethought what, where, how, why in terms of building, sourcing, maintaining, and getting close to the customers. Now, they said that they had to go through a series of steps before work on the North Carolina plant can begin in earnest. Uh, and it's, it's a nightmare. If you've never had to get land approved, there are a ton of steps, starting with zoning. And in this case, they needed an air permit from local authorities. And then they need still win a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers, showing they can minimize damage to water quality and wetlands. And then and there's lining up the financing. 
The car maker has already received $1.3 billion in incentives from North Carolina, the largest such package in the state's history. But they've run into administrative problems, though. So the question is, is this a hiccup in the road to where they'll overcome it and it will get built? Is this the sign of something major where either they're forced to rethink the whole thing? And also, are these incentives, can the state claw them back if they don't do what they're supposed to do? And how long is North Carolina giving them that? Because those incentives, ladies and gentlemen, come from the taxpayer. When you see getting tax incentives, that is the, that is the taxpayer for that jurisdiction going without tax receipts to fund a state budget in exchange for the employment, the property taxes and other economic benefits that will come as a result of all that employment. And I would not be surprised if VinFast, like other automotive makers in the South that have come and built a big old plant, if they won't end up being the high, paying the highest wages in the area. When Nissan built their plant in Canton, Mississippi back in 04, they told us that they were pulling people, when they were at full strength, they were pulling people from every single one of Mississippi's counties. And because they were paying the highest wages in the state, other businesses were suffering because they couldn't match them. I wonder if this is going to happen if and when VinFast gets to North Carolina. Another thing to think about. After lending significant support to EV startups during the past 10 years, investors have been pulling back as of late. This has resulted in the automaker's IPO being delayed due to concerns about market conditions. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. The auto industry requires very big patience, deep pockets. If you ain't in it for 10 to 20 years and you're not willing to spend at least 10 to $20 billion dollars, then you need to pick up your marbles and go home because you cannot play in this sandbox. It is not for the weaklings and it's not for the thinly capitalized because you will not make it. The auto industry over the last hundred years is full of a lot of companies that tried and failed. At the end of the day, money, money, money. It's why you've never heard of the United States Motor Car Company <laughs> because they went broke. GM did too, but the bankers bailed GM out. They didn't bail them out. VinFast also delayed several times the delivery of its first vehicle to an American customer. That was supposed to happen in late December, but happened earlier this month when the first 45 EVs were handed over. I didn't even know they were offering vehicles in this country. And then the big question is, where are they selling them? My guess, California. How are they selling them? Because again, are they required to have bricks and mortar and all of that? Don't know. The mid-sized VinFast VF8 is the first vehicle in its company's plan to start selling in the States. It will follow with a bigger VF9 sometime in mid-2023, if their plan holds the schedule. Two smaller models, the VF6 and VF7, could possibly also reach American showrooms before the end of the year or by early 2024. We will see if they get waylaid like so many others. Faraday Future to name one. Lordstown Motors, we talked about them. Hey it's, it, hey, it's rough out there, man. Just because you decide you want to build a vehicle doesn't mean it's going to get done. A lot of stuff needs to go right, and a lot of stuff can certainly go wrong. Shifting gears, speaking of that. With Nissan and Renault's help, Mitsubishi Motors announced its entire fleet will be electrified by 2035. They could not have done it, to be blunt, without being part of this alliance. 
And honestly, they also talk about in this article from my friends over the Detroit Bureau that Mitsubishi for the first time ever topped the J.D. Power 2023 U.S. Customer Service Index, a CSI study for things gone right in the first 90 days. I can tell you why. It's pure and simple. Number one, Mitsubishi don't sell that many vehicles in the United States. Number two, the vehicle that they did go with is basically a re-engineered Nissan Rogue. And it was the best Mitsubishi branded vehicle I had ever driven. And no doubt those two things combined would push them up. My question is to Mitsubishi, if they do get the volume, can they keep it? It's one thing to build a small number of vehicles, do it well, and have people say wonderful things about you. It's something completely different when you're building at the scale of Mazda, I'm sorry, where General Motors or Tesla or Ford or Stellantis, when you're building millions of these and get it right. It's also an opportunity for a lot of them to get it wrong. So I, I, I take it, yay for Mitsubishi, yay for their first ever, but I still take it with a grain of salt, particularly nowadays. I want to see them build at volume. Come back to me when they build double or triple what they're selling now. And if they can hold it then, then they have my respect. Because, you know, I mean, people love Tesla, but Tesla is building, coming in on a million vehicles a year. They didn't always. When they were started out, less than 100,000. It takes something to do it. They say they're growing, but Mitsubishi's growing from a small base. But to get back to it, they are going to be completely electrified in what they're offering. And the plan also describes that they've got the foundational principles under which Mitsubishi will work within the Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi Alliance, and other global alliances. So they got a plan. And the company made sure to say to achieve their goals, Mitsubishi will move to make 50% of global sales electrified by 2030 and then 100% of the fleet by 2035. The company made sure to note that EV refers to a blend of plug-in hybrids, hybrids and pure battery electric vehicles they're not all pure electrics the goal is made possible through more aggressive investment in r&d and capex especially in the areas of electrification it and new business and dipping into the renault and nissan parts bin because why invent the wheel and they don't have to so it should be good uh, they expect in the next three years of business they will see an enhanced and electrified product lineup in the market they're talking about north america in close cooperation with Alliance member Nissan. Not surprised. The Kia Nero has something for everybody. We take it for a spin. You're listening to the Tech Mobility Show. Welcome to AONMeetings.com, your next video conferencing and webinar platform. Host your next virtual meeting or your paid webinar with registration and secure file sharing, break rooms, classrooms, and much more. With over five levels of security to know that your data is safe and secure and 100% browser-based, keep in touch with family and friends using the newest meeting platform. Go to AONMeetings.com to start your free seven-day trial. That's AONMeetings.com to start your seven-day free trial. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support.
Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. It's new. It's new. It's new. The new, new 62 Lark by Studebaker. With big car comfort at compact prices. New. Highest, widest doors of all. New. Big, sofa-soft, deep-padded seats. New. Thick, rich pile rugs and flat, flush floors with no trip over sill. New. Lark limousine, stretch-out room. Big car comfort at a compact price. New. Giant Lark trunks. Almost 17 cubic feet of cargo space. New. Big 15-inch wheels give you new riding comfort and surprise. New fresh styling in the big, wide, wonderful line of Larks from Studebaker. Two new Lark Daytonas. America's newest action car in hardtop and convertible styles. With bucket seats, very sporty. A companion console compartment, very spiffy. Available, too, four-speed transmission for exhilarating performance. Now enter the most luxurious car you'll find in the compact price range, the Lark Cruiser. More room and luxury than you'll find in most cars. Here's the new 62 Lark hardtop with sliding sunroof. Available on all Lark sedans and hardtops. Simply beautiful. Just peek inside. Look at these big, loungy limousine seats and thick pile rugs. Here's the new Lark convertible. There's big wagon room in the new 62 Lark wagon, too. Look at that enormous cargo space. Please be sure to see and test drive all the exciting new 62 Larks at your Studebaker dealer with big car comfort at compact prices. And remember, they're endurance built by Studebaker. You know, apparently advertising rates must have been real cheap back then. That commercial was two minutes long, and it's not rare. A lot of the commercials that I look at, vintage commercials, ran that long. All I could figure is it couldn't have been that expensive for reaching all the people that they reached. But there it is. The new 1962 Studebaker Lark. Extra points if you could recognize at least one of the voices, which was not supposed to be human, uh, from one popular TV show for the time. And I'll give you a hint. It was Mr. Ed. But which voice was it? I'll let you think about that. It's not often that I get to review a world record holder. Introduced in 2016, the Kia, the Kia Nero is based on the same platform as the Hyundai Ioniq. The first generation Nero earned a Guinness World's Records title for the, long, for the lowest fuel consumption by a hybrid vehicle. 
The Nero was driven from Los Angeles to New York City with a certified fuel consumption record of 76.6 miles per gallon. The Nero actually beat another Kia model, which achieved a record of 64.55 miles per gallon in 2011, the Kia Optima Hybrid Sedan. Designed from the beginning to be offered as a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and all-electric models, the Nero represents the future direction of the brand when it comes to powertrain development. This is Topic B. Retaining a compact footprint but incrementally larger than a vehicle replaces, the second-generation Kia Nero was introduced at the New York Auto Show last year. The all-new Kia People Mover had been designed from the ground up to meet and exceed the expectations of eco-minded consumers. And when I say that the Kia Nero has something for everybody, I really mean it. The hybrid model is available in seven trim levels, while the plug-in hybrid and all-electric models are available in two well-appointed trim levels each. The all-new Kia Nero features a bold and dynamic design, inspired by the brand's acclaimed Opposites United design philosophy, and specifically its design pillar, Joy for Reason. The treatment takes inspiration from nature, while the choice of colors, materials, and finishes aim to strike the perfect balance between an environmentally responsible approach to mobility and a future-oriented passenger car vision. The side profile of the 2023 Kia Nero is accentuated by the Aeroblade, a highly distinctive shape which also aids airflow underneath the D-pillar. The Aeroblade can be painted in a body color or a variety of contrasting colors. Power from the Nero hybrid and plug-in hybrid is provided by a hybrid system that consists of a 1.6-liter four-cylinder gasoline engine, electric motor, and a lithium-ion battery pack that together produces 139 horsepower and 195 foot-pounds of torque. This energy is communicated through a six-speed dual-clutch automatic transmission. EPA fuel economy numbers of 53 city, 54 highway for the hybrid, and 108 MPGE for the plug-in hybrid. The range is 588 miles for the hybrid and 510 miles for the plug-in hybrid. The all-electric Nero is powered by a 64.8 kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery with an electric motor that generates 201 horsepower and 188 foot-pounds of torque with a range of 253 miles for an MPGE of 113. <laughs> Editor's note, miles per kilowatt-hour I feel is a better indicator of performance and efficiency, likening the size of battery, the size of the battery to the size of a gasoline uh, tank when comparing range and fuel economy. And in that measurement, I found it to be 3.9, and that is miles per kilowatt hour. All-wheel drive is not available for any vehicles in the Nero lineup. Towing is not recommended. Cargo capacity is 63.7 cubic feet with the rear seat folded. The Nero boasts 6.3 inches of ground clearance. Here's what I liked about the vehicle. For this review, I was able to spend time in both the Nero Hybrid and all-electric versions, although most of my time was in the Hybrid. The Nero was solid and substantial in a good way, inspiring driver confidence when underway. When driving the Nero EV, one of the three driving modes, Eco, Sport, and Sport, choose Sport for the most fun behind the wheel. The instant response to the electric motor will put a smile on your face and some pep in your step. The low firewall height provides the driver with an above-average outward view of the road and surroundings. The optional rear blade color adds additional character to the Nero's stylish presence. Inside the cabin, there's an impressive array of displays, control, and switch gear. There's a lot to love here, even for backseat passengers. The 70-30 split rear seating features a center armrest that folds flat with the cargo floor. Good ventilation available of 
available back of front seat storage pouches and dual mini USB ports make back life make back seat life in the Nero <laughs> pretty good. Here's what I didn't like about the vehicle. In eco mode, the Nero variants take a bit of effort to launch from rest. Overall, mid-range acceleration is mid-pack at best. The climate controls are a bit wonky to access. The lack of a spare tire is concerning, as I don't think that the Continental Pro Contact tires are self-sealing or run flat. An air pump and a tire repair kit are what you have if you run into trouble, <laughs> and that's not okay. And there's no regular USB ports for rear seat passengers. So here's the bottom line. The redesigned Kia Nero has something for everyone. It looks good, runs well, and is economical, regardless of your choice of trim level. It doesn't offer all-wheel drive, which could be an issue in colder climates. Its estimated 250-mile range for the electric means that you're going to need to have access to a 350-kilowatt fast charger. With that capability, you can recharge from almost dead to an 80% charge in less than 45 minutes. The manufacturer's suggested retail price for the 2023 Kia Nero starts from $26,590 for the LX Hybrid and up to $44,550 for the EV Wave. Destination charges add $1,325. And I gotta tell you, with where they're going, I would expect, uh, again, over-the-air updates over time and expect that 253-mile range to increase, if not this year, within the next couple of years. So on that note, I wouldn't be as concerned about it as I would have been a couple of years back. Because right now, the de facto standard is coming in right at around 300 miles. New technology solves an old problem in North Carolina. This is the Tech Mobility Show. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. Welcome to AONmeetings.com, your next video conferencing and webinar platform. Host your next virtual meeting or your paid webinar with registration and secure file sharing, break rooms, classrooms, and much more. With over five levels of security to know that your data is safe and secure and 100% browser-based, keep in touch with family and friends using the newest meeting platform. Go to AONmeetings.com to start your free seven-day trial. That's AONmeetings.com to start your seven-day free trial. An electrical utility turned to a novel solution to keep the lights on in a small western North Carolina town deep in the Pisgah Natural Forest. This is Topic B. The French Broad River winds its way through the town of Hot Springs deep in the Pisgah Natural Forest. It's a rural mountain community and it has about 550 folks. The problem is, like most mountainous communities that are somewhat isolated, Power can be kind of spotty at times because they've got basically one power line in. And if it goes out for any reason due to overgrowth or damage or whatever, it takes crews a while to find the problem, a while to access the problem to fix it. So power outages were not merely a few minutes, you know, maybe like in an urban area, 
but can be hours or a couple of days at a time. Duke Energy, which is the power company there, uh, was approached by the town residents to do something about the problem. And they chose a very different solution. Rather than just going and clearing the power line, and you know, which runs for about 10 miles through some pretty rugged terrain, they actually built for this town of 550 a microgrid. Let's talk about that a minute. We know that as we're looking at electricity, and the reason why, let me stop. The reason why I talk about electricity, first of all, so much is because regardless of what you're, where you are in technology and mobility, electricity is the common denominator and it's required. And your ability and access to it and your ability to access it uh, has a lot to do, again, where you live, where you work, what you drive. So for Hot Springs, North Carolina, deep in a natural forest, it's beautiful, it's rugged, and those very things that drew these people to this little town are the very things that give power utility companies nightmares. But Duke Energy being a forward-thinking company because this was not their first installation, but it was their first for an entire town, but not their first ever. Here's what they did. To back up that single power line in the town, they built a microgrid which consists of a 2 megawatt solar facility and a 4.4 megawatt lithium-based battery storage facility. Here's the beautiful part. Should they have a power interruption from the main line in the town, they've already proven that this combined solar and battery storage facility can bring the entire town up from cold start, from black. Not just, you know, we need more power. No, power goes completely out. They brought the entire town back online with just this facility. Total time it took from the time they lost power to the time this facility came up strong. You ready for it? 10 minutes. That's it. Duke Energy really is showing what can be done. This is solar power, by the way, folks, not wind energy. Let me be clear about that. Solar power. And they had enough solar power where they're at to where this could be the backup to help these residents who are otherwise remote. Because the other plan would have been to either fortify the line in at many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, which was not practical. But this right here, this could very well be the future. And why stop there? I mean, what's to stop Towns like Hot Springs to say, you know, we've proven, Duke Energy has helped us prove that this could be a backup. Why stop with the backup? Let's invest a little more money and build it out completely so that we don't need the grid at all. That's happening in some communities. We reported on a town down in Florida that was built specifically to withstand that kind of power outage. And they did. They were the only lights around for miles because they were built that way. They was optimized that way, again, working with the local power utility. As the power utility rethinks these things, a lot of people ask, well, you know, electric vehicles are coming. You know, we don't know how that's going to handle the grid. Well, let me counter with something. Imagine in this town of Hot Springs, let's just be optimistic and say there was 50 people who owned electric vehicles. 
And each of these vehicles and this grid had the ability for what they call bi-directional charging. Why couldn't those vehicles also be a power storage resource for the town in case of extended outages to even backstop what Duke Energy's already built or even feed the grid on a regular basis? You feed the grid during times of demand, you recharge the vehicles in time when demand's not that great, like overnight. I think this is the start, the tip of something bigger. I really do. That remote communities will look at this. Now, what if Hot Springs was also in a position where they can add wind energy and add more sustainables to their solar array. There's no end to where they could take this if they wanted to. I don't know the geography. I know it's mountainous. That would tell me that there should be some opportunity for wind someplace near or around town. If they add that, a small wind farm, plus any uh, EVs that are bi-directional, and I think the day is coming where this story might read in five to 10 years, hey, Duke Energy came in and they cut the cord and they set it up and we've got them on contract to maintain it, but we do not need power from a central uh, distribution grid anymore. We are completely self-sustainable. That's what I see here. This is what I see the beginning of with advanced diagnostics, advanced analytics, advanced uh, efficiencies across the board in, in energy storage and, you know, renewables and sustainable energy and a whole bunch of other things they could do. I think this is the tip of the iceberg. And I don't think Hot Springs will be alone. I mean, Duke Energy did talk about some of their other projects that they've done, but they've never done it for an entire town. Hot Springs was the first, but I'm here to tell you, I don't believe they'll be the last. People were nervous. They didn't think that the microgrid would do it. So they tested it. And Duke did a lot of explaining to let people know how it would work and you know how it would kick in and what, under what circumstances. And it worked. It worked exactly the way they said it would. I think this is an opportunity for many power companies to save a bundle of expenses, what, build a microgrid when you don't need the major line and all the cost that comes with it to maintain the wires and the poles and the remote areas and all the overtime you got to pay when there's an outage. Or maybe you flip the script, the line becomes the emergency thing you need when you need it, and you use the microgrid as your day-to-day. -day. I think that is probably something that could happen, will happen, as we see more and more situations like this, particularly in the, middle, in the Midwest and West where you have wind, you have solar. Right now here in Des Moines, almost 75% of the power that we enjoy here in Des Moines is from sustainable energy, predominantly wind with some solar. And that's just the tip of the iceberg with what we're going. We haven't even begun to talk about bi-directional charging. We haven't talked about expanding our solar capabilities. We haven't talked about a lot of other things, recapturing uh, gases from landfills, a million different things that can happen and not burn an ounce of fossil fuel, not one ounce. All of it better for the planet because we're reusing or using what we have available, which is sustainable and renewable. So hats off to Duke Energy, hats off to Hot Springs, North Carolina, and I think this is the beginning of something great. Absolutely do. You know, I thought I would share that with you. We take a look at the cost of insuring one of today's EVs. We are the Tech Mobility Show.
Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. While EVs may keep you from spending an arm and a leg at the gasoline pump or at the repair shop, insuring them is another matter. According to industry pundits, it can cost as much as 25% more to insure an EV over its internal combustion engine counterpart. This is topic C. Let me talk about one, before I even get into this, one thing that the underwriters are scared of that is not being borne out, at least in testing and crash testing, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has been testing EVs, battery electric vehicles, for over 10 years. Not once in all those crashes of all those makes have they had a battery fire. Not once. Yet, one of underwriters' main concerns when looking at an EV relative to a crash is a battery fire. Now, in fairness, there are situations which would make them riskier. But uh, lithium, lithium ion batteries are on the way out anyway. And you're going to see different chemistries over time, which would be less flammable. Even solid state lithium ion, which has no liquid, no slurry, which is, tends to be a problem. So I throw that out there because in doing the research for this, that made me a little crazy. I'm like, seriously, you guys? Okay. Um, according to Value Penguin... These higher premiums largely come from the fact that EVs are overall more expensive to replace and repair. True. But insurance still lack the long-term data required to know exactly how to unwrite them. Also true. Meaning, since we don't know what the claim is going to be and how much it's going to cost to fix them, we're going to charge you a lot more money. In fairness, they've had over 100 years to, to 
you know, fine-tune their research on internal combustion engines and vehicles and safety features and everything. Oh, well. Again, they talked about the one tick against EVs when it comes to insurance is fire risk. Let me put a point on that. Salt water. It's corrosive. And during Hurricane Ian, the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation uh, encouraged those affected by the storm to stay alert as batteries could increase in temperature to the point of ignition after being submerged in salt water. That's the number one thing they worry about. Battery fire due to what they call a thermal runaway, usually caused because salt water is corrosive, could short the battery, causing that to happen, things like that. So yeah, in certain situations, this could be a problem. And I could understand that. But honestly, if it's been submersed in water, even a, even a regular internal combustion engine car immersed in water is going to be a total loss anyway. So that's not news. Other factors contributing to higher EV insurance premiums uh, include, it's something you wouldn't think about, but once I mention it, you go, well, duh. The scarcity of repair shops equipped to service EVs and the safety threats because EVs acquired in a gas-powered car and may go unheard by pedestrians as they approach. EVs hitting pedestrians that didn't hear them coming. And to that point, automakers, some of them have actually engineered back in movement noise so that you can hear the thing coming by design. It's weird, but it's a thing. Um, but to point... EVs don't require a lot of maintenance to begin with. So you're talking about repairs, repairs in the case of an accident. Right now, again, I say no battery pack has been breached, at least in the testing. Does it not mean that it may not happen out there in the real world? We've all seen the pictures and we all know for a fact that because of the current battery chemistry makeup of battery electric vehicles being a, a liquid uh, lithium ion mix, that they are prone to fires that are hard to extinguish. And that is a problem. Now, they give a list of the costs of certain EVs. They say popular EVs. Not all these are popular. I mean, come on, people. But I, I, I'll, I'll go there. And I'll give you just an idea. And I'm going to start with the most expensive. And I'm going to go to the one that's least expensive. And then I'm going to throw maybe a few out there that's not on their list. They start with the Porsche Taycan. It's electric, it's expensive to begin with, so yeah, that would be an expensive one. And they're talking annual insurance cost about $35, almost $3,600. Here's one. This is Tesla's most popular model, and it's the Tesla Model Y, and it costs $3,100, a little over $3,100 a year to insure. That is closing in on, but not quite, $300 a month. That's a lot of money just for insurance. The Hyundai Ionic 5, about $2,400. Okay, so you're looking at roughly $200 a month. Not outrageous, and it's a darn good little car. One you haven't heard of, which is a performance version um, from Volvo, uh, and it's their electric vehicle, the Polestar 2. I've seen one. You're not going to see a lot of these, so I don't know where they're getting off popular. Car's not popular because they just don't make that many. That's still about just a little bit more than the Ionic 5 at $2,468. Here's one that was recently tested by Consumer Reports. I'm sorry, sorry. 
the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, not Consumer Reports. They side impact crash tested a Rivian R1T. And to answer the question, no, the batteries were not corrupted. They did not fail. They did not short. And remember, we're talking about their heavier test now with weight that exerts 82% more energy than the original test. They crashed it into this truck. It passed. So I want that to be clear. It has an insurance cost that is actually a little bit less than the Hyundai Ionic 5 at $2,340. The Chevy Bolt comes in at $2,100. That's some volume. The Ford Mustang E, just a little bit more, at $2,300. Here's the one that I need a moment. I need a moment for this one. And I'll, and I'll explain why in a minute. You're going to tell me that a Ford F-150 Lightning costs less to insure than a Chevy Bolt, a Ford Mustang Mach-E, and a Hyundai Ioniq 5? Uh, yeah, no. First of all, a regular internal combustion gas model truck is an expensive piece of machinery to start with. You're superimposing now the cost of a whole new powertrain. New batteries, new configuration, new everything, new electronics, everything. And you're going to tell me in year two of this truck with this powertrain that it costs less than smaller vehicles? That's what they say. I'm sorry. I don't buy it, but okay. 20, just over $2,000 um, a year to insure. To me, I would have thought this would be more expensive for everything that could go wrong and for the cost components alone. Here's something that'll blow your mind. You ready for this? The Nissan Leaf, which has been in production for over 10 years, costs slightly more to insure than the recent to market Ford F-150 Lightning. And the one they show is the least expensive, and they don't build that many of them, I'm sorry. The Mini Cooper Electric. It's a small car. $1,900. We have come to the end of our program. Be sure to join me here again at the same time next week. This has been the Tech Mobility Show. The Tech Mobility Show is a copywritten production of Tech Mobility Productions Incorporated. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Tech Mobility Productions Incorporated. Welcome to AONMeetings.com, your next video conferencing and webinar platform. Host your next virtual meeting or your paid webinar with registration and secure file sharing, break rooms, classrooms, and much more. With over five levels of security to know that your data is safe and secure and 100% browser-based, keep in touch with family and friends using the newest meeting platform. Go to AONMeetings.com to start your free seven-day trial. That's AONMeetings.com to start your seven-day free trial. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support.
Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us.